It's time for Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Now, here's Bart Scott and Dan Grossa. And welcome into Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grossa alongside Bart Scott. And Bart, this is it, my man. End of the road, last show of the season. You sad at all or what? Yeah, boys and man style, man. We've come to the it's end all of the good, road. Though. But you know, all great things come to an end and just happy that we're able to make it through and that the guys did such a tremendous job in NFL and all the protocol. They did a good enough job to keep everybody as safe as possible. And, you know, we're going to have playoffs and we're going to have a Super Bowl. We're going to have a draft and hopefully oh. we can get back to normal and we can continue to have our traditions that we're used and accustomed to dealing with when it comes to our NFL schedule. 256 games up, 256 games down. And for the New York Jets, the 16th and final game was played on Sunday in Foxborough. They lose to the Patriots 28-14. They finish 2-14 for the first time in the history of their franchise with that exact same record. But really, the big news comes Sunday night when we find out that Adam Gase was relieved of his duties as head coach after two years. And, I mean, Bart, everybody kind of saw the writing on the wall. You figured that this was going to be the outcome for him and – uh, you know, just didn't get the results necessary over the last two seasons. Well, you know, this is a results business. And, you know, you know, the, the organization decided to say, you know what, let's not double down on this. Let's see if what we can do, where we can get better at. And everybody is always under evaluation, whether it's coaches, whether it's strength coaches, whether it's players. We're all constantly being evaluated and the organization thought it was best to move forward with someone else as the head coach. Um, let's hope that, you know, Joe Douglas and the team gets it right this time. And hopefully we can get somebody that can be around for a long time, that can build this program. This is a young team. They have a lot of flexibility, a lot of cap space, a lot of draft picks. And um, if you build this thing right, it can be built with a foundation that can have sustainable success for the decades to come. Yeah. And earlier on Monday, Christopher Johnson did a conference call with the media. And, you know, the question was asked about the committee and this searching process. And it's going to be, you know, himself and Joe Douglas and Jaime Elhai, the team president. And, you know, but Christopher also said, look, Joe has been around the league. Joe is well respected. Joe's voice is going to be the one to carry the most weight in this search. So it is going to fall on the shoulders of the general manager here to be able to find that next leader. And that's the thing you've heard a lot, too, over the last couple of days, right? Stress from the organization, a leader, a CEO type, someone who's going to imbrand a culture here. That's what they're looking for to be the next head coach of this team. Yeah, because you, you know, some people want offensive gurus, defensive gurus. That's not what you need. What you need is a leader of men. And then, you know, you can find guys that are exceptional at, you know, the offensive X's and O's and the execution, the defensive X and O's. But if you can't lead and inspire people to come to work and work hard when they're hurt, injured, and play for each other not play for themselves, then you're going to have a team that's going to always underperform and always come up quite short. You know, but when you have a team that's willing to lay it on the line for each other, a team that are buy-in, a team that has belief, not only in what they've been taught, but also in each other, and they lay it on the line, then they can punch above their their their, their weight class, right? And that's what you want. You want somebody that's going to come here and that's going to be a force multiplier for the team, you know, and make guys play better and develop and teach and, 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 and teach these guys not only how to be great football players, but how to be great men. Because if you're a great man, if you have, you know, um, you know, you, tell, you hold each other accountable and you have morals and you you have a philosophy and you have your why is bigger than your what, then you're going to have a team that's built on success because they're going to build each other up, not tear each other down 
everybody's going to pull the rope the same direction. And that's where the start, that's where the search really starts for me. You know, people can talk about, hey, we want Eric the enemy because he's been on Andy Reid's staff and that's the hot team. That may be, he may be a great coach, but he may not be the great coach for your organization. Right. We have to find specifically who's good and who's built for this market, who's built for this team, who's built for the task at hand. Every situation in the NFL is different. You know, the Atlanta job is much different from the, the Los Angeles Chargers job. That job is much different from the Detroit Lions job. You have to find who fits the mold of what you want to do, what you have, and how you want to move forward, and who can take that vision and who can and, and make it a reality. No, definitely. And look, you have a little bit of competition because, as you said, there's five other vacancies in the National Football League right now. So there's going to be a lot of good candidates. There's going to be candidates that are going to be interviewed, you know, from from multiple teams. But it is going to be incumbent upon the organization to find the right guy. And look, right now, the fact of the matter also is with the Jets, Bart, and the last time this team made the postseason, you were on the team back in 2010. And that's the longest drought in the National Football League right now in terms of making the playoffs. So Change is inevitable when you go two and 14, when you have a season the Jets had, I mean, in a sport and in a business where change, as I said, happens each and every year, regardless, when you have a disappointing campaign like the Jets had, you knew there was going to be roster turnover, probably some coaching staff turnover. Shoot, maybe they're going to have a different catch up in the cafeteria, just that, you know, find ways to make things better than they were in 2020. Yeah, you're always been evaluated. And every year you talk about most squads have 35% turnover or the Jets are going to have a little bit more because they decided to move on from some guys that may have been good players, but their time didn't match up with the, the time that the Jets thought that they can be successful. Now, you know, Joe Douglas also has going to have to do some deep dives on the personnel that he has. He has to make a decision on Sam Darnold. Do you use that number two overall pick on bringing in another player in here? Do you want to go out and get somebody that can – push him a little bit, whether it's Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, or anybody that's a retread. Or also, you know, what are you going to do with Marcus May? You know, what are you going to do with Jordan Jenkins? You know, what are you going to do with Harry Anderson? What are you going to do with some of the five free agents or something like that? You know, between restricted, unrestricted, and whatnot. So there's a lot of guys, as you said, and that's, you know, that's part of life in the NFL. Right, and what, what moves are you going to make in free agency? You know, because what you do in free agency really affects what you're going to do in the draft. So it's all about, you know, what's available. It's about also identifying, I believe, who's going to be your CEO. And your CEO in the face of every organization is always the head coach. And once you do that, then you can say, okay, these are the players that I need. You don't want to go out and start making decisions and start bringing players in until the coach, the man that's going to cook the meal, is trying to say, hey, these are the type of ingredients that I need. These are the type of intangibles that I want out of my players. And then start going forward that way. So, I think all attention right now has to be on the head coach, uh, head coaching search. A lot of these head coaching candidates are currently on rosters and they won't be available to, to interview until they have a bye week or until they lose. And, you know, right now it's, you know, it's a lot of good opportunities out there. You look at, you know, five, I think six may have come on. I don't know. You have Jacksonville, you have Atlanta, you have the Jets, you have yeah, there's Detroit. Six total, yeah. Yeah, six total. It's crazy because, I mean, so you blink every time you look up, it's a new update to say, hey, this guy may be out. Of. Who knows after what we witnessed yesterday in Philadelphia, if that was enough, you know, of an outrage for them to say, you know what, this guy isn't a leader. You know, this is this is something that we don't stand for. And that's a black guy. So we want to move forward. And if they decide to say, you know what, Carson Wentz is our guy. You know, so, I mean, it's a lot of things that's going on. That's what makes the NFL so intriguing. It's 32 teams. Everybody has. An opportunity. Some guys think that they're closer than they are. 
Uh, some guys are farther away than what they think. And then, you know, you, you go out and you make these moves, right? You know, you look at what Miami did last year and going out and making all those transactions, you know, and it almost got them to a, to a playoff run. You know, yep. they fell short, but I mean, that's the team that you think that you're going to have to deal with within your division. You talk about a division now that's being re-sculpted. You know, what are the Pats going to do as far as trying to, you know, uh, figure out what they're going to do with their quarterback situation? Yeah, all, that, all, that affects, all that affects this division because this division is young. And right now it looks like the Buffalo Bills are in their window. And how are you going to catch up and be able to compete for the division first? Every team that I've ever played on, the goal was to win the division first. And that can't be any different here for the Jets. So how do you build your team to defeat and to win your division. It starts with the head coach and it starts with the draft. It starts with free agency. It starts with figuring out which one of these guys that played has you know earned the right not to be on the back end of the roster, but that can be on the front end of the roster. I love what Basham did and how he finished the season. Yep. I think he showed a lot of promise. A lot of guys. We all know that Quentin, Quentin Williams has is, is played well. Now, how do we get this team healthy? How do we figure out how to how to build these guys up so we don't have as many injuries as we've had? How do we develop Mims? It's so many things. Well, that was so many happened young, yesterday too. That was that was a sigh of relief yesterday when we saw Makai go down in the game, and then yeah. he was able to get up and walk off of his own power. And you know, we didn't hear anything today that it was anything serious, but that was the last thing you wanted. Your stud left tackle to possibly you know be undergoing some sort of a rehab in his first off season as a pro. That was. You know, like I said, thankfully, something that we don't have to deal with. Right. I mean, I think the biggest growth, you know, for any player always comes from year one and year two, because just think all these young men had the most difficult task of any uh, rookie class in the history of the sport. They basically had to learn mentally and not have the physical reps to kind of make it muscle memory. They had to go out every day and do Zoom calls, things that nobody had ever did before, develop technology, learn technology learn how to learn on the board. And we all know that everybody's not that type of learner. Some people are, are physical learners. They're not visual learners. And they had to do that. And you know, so I commend these young guys. I think it's going to be a, a breath of fresh air when these guys get to come out and hopefully do a, you know, hopefully, you know, by the time, you know, OTAs come back around after the draft, we'll be able to have a regular offseason. We'll be able to have a modified offseason where guys can get in and they can spend time with their coaches they can be taught. They can sit in the classroom. They can be around their teammates. You know, as this vaccine continues to spread and, and people are getting more access to it, eventually it's going to come to the athletes and to people that's, you know, that 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 play sports, you know, whether it's collegiate or high school. And, you know, people can feel like they can be in the same room with, with each other, that they can lean on each other, that they can push each other, that they can sweat on each other and not know that they can be and know that they can be okay. So, you know, that I think these young guys are going to get it because they've done the hard part. They've done it as hard as you can do it. So what are they going to do now that they're able to be taught? They're able to get that 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 face to face type of experience. And Beckton's going to be able to get in football shape. You know, we we watched Quentin Williams last year come back with a different body once he realized what the NFL was all about. I think when you look at Beckton, he's going to come back and he's going to figure out how not to get dinged up so much how not to be in and out of the lineup as much so he can continue to be a dominant player for a sustainable, a long, sustainable um, periods of time where we don't have to worry about him going down, whether it was the pack, whether it was the ankle, whether it was, you know, whatever happened this week. Inside the Jets is supported by BetMGM. Place your football parlays, props, and futures bets at BetMGM Sports all season long. Head coach, of course, getting that right is important. Then when you talk about the personnel you got to figure out the quarterback situation here. And Christopher Johnson was asked earlier today about Sam Darnold. Now, he said, personally, 
He hopes that Sam Darnold is back with the team and is able to have this great career as a member of the New York Jets like everybody envisioned a couple of years ago. But he also stressed that the decision ultimately on Sam is going to be made by Joe Douglas and whoever the new head coach is going to be. And, well, the number two pick, like you said, it does present a wide array of possibilities for Joe Douglas and what he could do. Whether you make the pick, and as you said, you could trade down, uh, acquire more picks, and still get yourself a very good player. Because, you know, you're talking about a 2-14 and football team, a team that has a lot of holes. I think that there needs to be a large infusion of talent on this football team to be able to turn it around. I don't think one guy or two guys is going to make that happen, but... With the draft serving as a foundation, Bart, I think that the one thing you can draw back on if you're a Jet fan is what Joe Douglas did this past spring when talking about his first draft. Because yeah. I know one season does not make a career, but by and large, the rookies that we saw from the 2020 class, those guys did some nice things and looked to have some promise based on what we saw on the field this year. Yeah, and they're only going to get better, right? And, you know, they had the opportunities, and you see Frank Gore – you know, got his 16,000 yards, and Ty Johnson was able to get some opportunities. Um, but you look at guys like Basham, you look at Frank and Myers that I think really flashed, you know, late in the season. Nathan Shepard, you know, I know he's not a new guy, but, you know, he's been around for three years. He, he's he's flashed a lot. You know, you look at Fadakasi and what he was able to do. You know, I know a lot of those, um, you know, a lot of people are frustrated with the um, with the 15-yard penalties, but, you know, those are good, good you know, to me, those are good, football moves that yesterday right on laughable. that cusp. I mean, the one yesterday yeah. was well, left. In a week before, I mean, Cam Newton's 6'5". He's actually taller oh. than you. He may be just as strong as you. And you got to get him down. And you don't do that forcibly and then try and, and not be able to land on him afterwards. That's just the part of doing business. He'll learn, you know, maybe that he'll start falling and pulling them on top of him um, or something like that instead of, you know, bending them over. He'll He'll pull him to the side and try and do it that way. But, you know, a lot of these guys showed a lot of promise, man. I, I, I like how, you know, the, the team really rallied and, and, and ascended. And, you know, we're going to get guys coming back. You know, Marcus May, that's going to be a negotiation that we're going to keep our eyes on. But it's just so many good players that are going to be available um, because of the pandemic. It's yeah. not going to be a lot of teams that's going to be able to protect players that normally would be protected because they don't have the funds to spend that luxury tax money because it was no concessions, because it was no parking, because it was no PSLs. You know, so the Jets are in a great position where they have a lot of money. They're going to be an attractive destination. And it's up to Joe to make it an even more attractive destination when he's able to get some of these guys in the building and show everything that that facility has to offer and also give them a front, uh, a firsthand experience about what it's like to work for the Johnson. I'm kind of curious here, you know, because, again, we go back to the head coaching search, and that's going to be the first thing on the list to do. And you played for three head coaches. You never played for a head coach straight from college. You did play for two guys, though, who it was their first head coaching opportunity with John Harbaugh and Rex Ryan. That was their first time, you know, as head coaches there. But if you could put yourself back in the locker room, let's just say, because, you know, it's not like we're we're speculating here or anything, but – if the possibility were to arise that Joe Douglas decides to pluck a head coach from the college ranks and select him, yeah. how does a professional athlete, a veteran, embrace a guy coming from the college ranks who maybe never coached in the NFL before? Well, we, we just want to know, you know, what, what, what are your answers to the questions that we're going to have? And you're not going to get those, those questions as a, as a player until you get there. You want to make sure that the, that the guy that comes in um, is honest, we want to make sure that he's a leader of men. And you want to see what type of staff he can put together. You know, the most important part, I think, what the judge need more than anything, they need a, a coach that is a teacher. 
need somebody that's going to help them, you know, get their football acumen, who's going to put enough teachers around them. You, you know, you, you take, we tip our hats off in this town to Joe Judge for what he was able to do, but he was able to bring in guys that were teachers, you know, or, you know, whether it was Jason Garrett or whether it was, um, Graham, these yeah. are all guys that, you know, these are all guys that were teachers, you know, whether it was the offensive line guru that he brought in from new England, you have to find somebody that, you know, and you never know who people know. And, you know, until you hire him, until you bring him in and you see what type of staff they can put together. You know, I don't want any arranged marriages because those things never work. You know, so you don't want somebody coming in. I don't want somebody coming in that says, hey, you have to take this coach. Now, I know the special team coach here has done a tremendous job, so maybe that's one exception. But as far as offense and defense, you got to bring people that they feel like they can trust in a foxhole. You know, I know that a couple of years ago when Matt Rule wanted to get his own uh, coaching staff, these are things that are going to be concerns of some guys because they're going to want to make sure say, hey, we may only may we, we may only get one bite at the apple as right. far as being a head coach. We want to make sure that we are able to to have the people that we feel comfortable working with, and that's a process. And that's something that Joe Douglas is going to have to consider. You know, let's see if Joe Douglas leans on some of his favorite places, his favorite destinations, whether it's Chicago, whether it's you know Philadelphia, whether it's Baltimore. You have Wink Martindale sitting out there. It's a lot of good coaches around here, but it's not about you getting a good one. It's about you getting the right one. I think the right one for you and the right one that, that can lead this team, this organization. You hit it right on the head. You know, the right coach for the New York Jets might not be the right coach for the Detroit Lions and vice versa. So I think that was a great point that you made a little bit earlier on. When we come back on this edition of Inside the Jets, we'll be joined by the right guard for the green and white, Greg Van Roten, the Long Island native, joining us next. It's Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets. Dan Grassi here with you on the season finale edition of our program. And it's time now for our player guest segment, which is also brought to you by EY, building a better working world. And we're pleased to be joined by a local product who just wrapped up his first season in green and white. It is the right guard for the New York Jets, Greg Van Roten, who's nice enough to join us here on the program. Greg, it's Dan Grassi. Thanks for joining us here on Inside the Jets. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm good. You know, the season's finally over and uh, looking forward to a healthy offseason. Now, it's only been, you know, about 24 hours or so since you guys left that field in Foxborough after the Patriots game there. Have you had a chance to kind of process everything that you've been through for the last four months? Or do you think that that's still coming over the next few days or weeks? It's still coming. I mean, the end of a season is always something that's very um, sudden. You know, you're in this routine, you're grinding day in and out, and then all of a sudden, you know, schedule's over, there's nothing to prepare for next week, and everyone kind of goes their separate ways. So it's uh, it's pretty, you know, sad in that regard, um, but it's exciting that, you know, you get to look forward to another offseason to train, and then you get to see what happens with uh, free agency, and this year with us, you know, coaching search. And, you know, there's going to be the draft and all that. And then we get right back to it. So I guess it's the uh, the sadness of one season ending, but the excitement of what's on the horizon. You know, and you mentioned the coaching search, right? Adam Gase was relieved of his duties last night by the team. And, you know, when you kind of put a, a postscript on this season, the fact that there was a coaching change, does that influence the outlook any way or the other about, you know, everything that you guys just went through? Uh. No, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's exciting to see what's going to happen, who they're going to bring in, and, you know, where you fit in that uh, scheme or in their vision. So you hope to be 
a part of it going, you know, forward. Um, you trust in what Joe Douglas is trying to build here, and you just want to add value uh, as a as a player and as a veteran um, specifically. Yeah, it's never a pleasant time, of course, right, Greg? Whenever you have a coaching change at the end of the season, there's families involved, and you know, from a human story and a human standpoint, it, it's difficult, certainly, but. You being a player and changes evident in the National Football League, right? It's a part of the fabric. Last year when you were with the Carolina Panthers, you also experienced a coaching change when they got rid of Ron Rivera. Does it make it any different? Does Were you kind of prepared for something like this, dealing with it now that you've been through this now two years in a row? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, last year with Ron was my first experience because um, they did it towards the end of the season. We still had a couple games left, so that was very strange. Um, because, you know, he was relieved of his duties. You have an interim head coach. Um, and this the whole feel of the team changes there. You know, this year, um, the writing was on the wall, obviously, for Adam. And when it finally did end, it is very sad, like you said, from the human element. You know, it's a guy's livelihood, his job, and it's over. And, you know, he's someone that believed in me and brought me to this team. So I'm grateful for that. And hopefully I can, you know, stay here and, like I said, add value to the team. Um, but, you know, it's the NFL. It is a brutal game and it's a brutal business because if you're not producing, you will be replaced. It goes from the top down, you know, GMs, coaches, and especially players. Year over year, there's lots of roster turnover across the league. And the only thing that's consistent really is the colors of the uniforms because you saw last year in free agency, you got guys who had been in one jersey for two decades, like Tom Brady, and all of a sudden he's in Tampa Bay. So it's, uh, it's definitely wild in uh, that regard. You know, earlier today, you guys had an in-person meeting with the team with Joe Douglas and Christopher Johnson. What was conveyed in that setting to you guys? Uh, you know, it was just a quick little post-mortem on the season and how much they appreciated, you know, the effort that the uh, players put in uh, day in and day out to, you know, get our first couple wins and, Going forward, you know, what they're looking for specifically um, in the players and the type of guys they're going to continue to bring in and the coaches that they're going to, you know, bring in to right the ship. Um, so it's more, you know, forward looking than, you know, looking back because everyone knows what happened this year. So they will uh, they'll figure that all out and then we'll see what happens with the coaching staff that they bring in, a head coach and um, go from there. You know, you and I were talking a little bit before we started the interview, and, and, and you had said that, okay, the record, despite it being 2-14, and 14, you wouldn't know it by the way you guys practice day in and day out. So when you look back and try to make sense of, you know, how things got to where they did, um, you know, is it one thing in particular that you could put your finger on as to why the results weren't there on game days, even though you guys really went out there on the practice field and gave it your all each and every day? That's never one thing um, as to why you, you don't win a game. Sometimes you're just playing a better opponent. Um, sometimes you get out-schemed. Sometimes you get outplayed. Sometimes you don't execute. Sometimes you beat yourselves. So, you know, we found uh, different ways to lose a lot of games this year. And that was the most frustrating thing. And, um, you know, it felt like every time we fixed something in one place, we sprung a leak somewhere else. So, you know, uh, so you keep trying to plug holes, but new things keep popping up. They play whack-a-mole. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough to win in this league when you're a good team. And um, But when you're inconsistent and you don't execute, you know, you got guys 
on and off injured reserve. Um, it's tough. And, you know, we, we learned that uh, hard and long way this year. And you just got off of injured reserve yourself. You had gotten hurt in the Raiders game, missed the next three, and then you came back to play in the season finale Sunday up there in Foxborough. How important was that for you just to make sure you would get back out there with your guys at least one more time before the season ended? Yeah, it's very important. You, um, like I said earlier, you always want to go into the offseason healthy. So you want to um, play in that last game, finish the game, and just know, like, all right, you know, my body is where it needed to be to have a healthy offseason. So there's no, you know, there's no rehab or anything I need to go through before I can start training for next year. And then just from a personal standpoint, for me, you know, I wanted to be back out there with my guys for, you know, presumably one last time as this version of the offense. Um, you know, we have a lot of free agents on our team, a lot of uncertainty with a lot of guys going forward. So we don't know who's going to be here, who's not going to be here. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be here. So I just wanted to go out there, play one more game with everybody and just kind of, you know, enjoy it, um, have some fun. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're doing what you love and you get to play football. So one more opportunity to play a game. You have to get excited for that. All right, let's go in that direction because you mentioned it, right? You're a Long Island native, local product. You grew up a Jets fan. To be able to come back, play for the team you grew up rooting for here, you know, it wasn't the one season that you wanted to have, at least in terms of the team and how they perform. But number one, what was this experience like for you? And number two, I mean, I guess it goes without saying, but I assume you would love nothing more than to come back again for another go around in green and white. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that stunk the most about this year was being so close to home, but not being able to share that with my friends and family, um, you know, who are so close to home. So it'd be nice to play a home game at MetLife in front of, you know, my friends, my parents, my brothers, my wife. Um, that would be nice. And then, um, you know, just like you said, growing up a Jets fan and being able to join this organization and be a part of its history is um, it's so exciting. And I just really like I would like to play here the rest of my career, however long that's going to be. Well, Greg, hang tight. We're going to have more with you coming up next here on Inside the Jets, the season finale edition right here presented by EY, building a better working world. All right, welcome back to Inside the Jets presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grassa, Bart Scott, and we're joined by Jets right guard Greg Van Roten. Season's over. Body has to heal. When do you get back into the training and getting ready for next season? Yeah, you don't want to take too much time off, but you definitely need to uh, relax a little bit. So, um, you know, for me, I'll probably take about two weeks off and then I'll start, you know, getting back into light training, you know, active recovery type stuff. And, um, you know, the one positive that came out of the virtual off season was we have this app where the strength coaches can just upload, um, you know, workouts, things like that onto it. So you can just look at it on a daily basis and see like, all right, I'm gonna do this today. And um, it's pretty straightforward. But, yeah, you definitely need to let your body rest a little bit. But if you go too long, it's going to be harder to get back in shape. And before you know it, you know, OTAs are starting um, one way or another. Well, how do you recover mentally? Because I think uh, mentally this probably was the most taxing year for any athlete or anybody in the world. So how do you get your mind right and kind of go to a place where you can recover and, and get ready for the grind all over again? But also recover and think about all the things that we've learned. You know, you guys were kind of in a bubble, but not in a bubble. 
you know, where you guys are actually just naturally were isolated from some of the issues that the world deals with because you have the best medical staff you're being attended to. But I mean, man, like now you're back to reality and now like you, you're in it every day. It's going to be a, it's going to be a different type of off season for sure. Um, typically at the end of the year, you know, my wife is a teacher. She has her winter break in February. So we've always gone on a trip together somewhere. Um, you know, we, last year we were at St. Lucia. A year before that, we went to Iceland. So, you know, it's going to be different this year because uh, can't really travel that much. She's not allowed to go to certain places um, as a teacher because you don't want to go somewhere and bring, you know, COVID back. So we're going to have to figure that out because um, you definitely do need that mental break of the season is over, you know, take a breath reset you know recharge the batteries and then get ready to start training again and like you said it was a year unlike any other uh, mentally for a lot of guys you know you know the rookies have nothing to compare this to so I feel for those guys trying to navigate this year that they had to just go through with you know their college seasons ending and then they start their pro day draft training into a non-existent OTA into a completely different training camp that anyone's ever gone through into one of the strangest regular seasons in regards to what was required off the field. You know, there's a great like social responsibility to your teammate this year to don't screw this up for everybody else. Don't be the guy that goes out and brings it back in the building. And all of a sudden, you know, you're playing without a quarterback or you have 20 guys on the COVID list. So that's stressful. You know, whether you want to admit it or not, like that is something you don't, you don't want to be that guy. And um, once the season ends, it's like, all right, you don't have to test every day. Um, you can kind of, you know, let your guard down a little bit, but you still got to be, you know, diligent because you're not really sure the long-term effects of coronavirus yet. Um, and, you know, you just got to be careful. So as far as what you can do mentally and, to kind of reset is just, I think, you know, you got to get away from football for a little bit, you know, hang out with your friends and your family that you're able to see and just kind of unwind a little bit, relax, and then get yourself ready to, to go because you know, before you know it, there's another season starting. Well, the, you know, kind of, you know, following up on that theme about the coronavirus and its effects on teams, you know, now we have the, the postseason coming and I'm sure like sometimes I would, Say I wasn't going to watch playoffs because I didn't care who won because I didn't win. But then eventually I would turn it on because it's entertaining, right? And you you want to see what happens and you want to see the drama, the, the greatest reality show, which is football, live sports. Uh, but do you think that these guys should maybe be in some type of bubble? Do you think it would be an added advantage for teams to put themselves in their own type of bubble like you guys did for training camp? Because if, if a guy like Mahomes or if a guy like Ben Roethlisberger gets COVID, you know, they don't, they're not going to stop the game for these guys, at least traditionally that we believe they're not going to stop the game. And that could be an unfair competitive advantage if somebody has to play without Alvin Kamara, which we don't know coming back from off the COVID list. So do you even bunker down even more, kind of tighten the screws even more if you're in the playoffs saying, hey, let's go to this bubble and let's make sure that the other teams are the ones that have to deal with COVID because it could be an advantage where we can beat a team that maybe we couldn't beat if, you know, they, they, they didn't have COVID or somebody that was important to them get come down with COVID? Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is one of those situations that we've not had to experience yet. And, you know, the NFL said, you know, we're not rescheduling games um, because of competitive, you know, disadvantages. So that really shifts the responsibility 
to the teams to make sure that they don't let coronavirus into their buildings. Because like you said, if you're a team like the Chiefs and Mahomes gets coronavirus and he's out for at least two weeks, you know, that's two playoff games. That could be the Super Bowl. And then, then what? You know, you made it all this way through all of this stuff that you had to navigate to even get to that point. You know, you got to buckle down as an individual and as an organization to, you know, follow the protocols and make sure that it doesn't become an issue to affect your play in the postseason. Because, you know, a lot of the things we've seen this year across the league, it's not necessarily that someone has contracted it and spread it. It's been more that someone contracted it and there was several close contacts that were high risk that had to be held out. Whether or not those people got sick, um, I think most of the times they didn't get sick. So it's just like, hey, like if you followed the protocols set by the league and the union, you would have been able to play. So take it seriously because whether or not you think it works, whether or not you think the virus is a big deal or not, like these are the rules to play and to get paid. So like you better follow them. And as far as like teams, you know, bubbling willingly or if the league mandates it, I just don't think it's something that we're going to see because we've come so far already um, with the protocols that we've been operating under. And I just don't think it's something necessary. I know there was a couple of teams whose coaches had to bubble and, you know, that's just one of those um, things where if you have a union, you know, you need to collectively bargain that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I trust the guys. I think we've done a great job, all things considered, across the league with a few exceptions of handling this pandemic. And you're the union representative for the team. So certainly you're all caught up with all those type of things here. All right, let me transition. We're going to turn you from player into analyst here because we're in the playoffs and it gets underway next week here. I think at last check, you guys played, I think, six teams that made the playoffs this year during the regular season. So out of the teams that you went up against that are still playing here in the postseason, give me a little scouting report. Which teams do you think are going to be the strongest contenders once playoff football begins next week? Obviously the Chiefs. Uh, you know, they're the, the champs from last year, and they showed this year that they are still for real. You know, they uh, their offense is so fun to watch um, when you're not playing against them. Um, they just, you know, they find creative ways to get their guys the ball. They use every bit of the field. You know, they stretch the field. They make you defend every inch of grass, and they are really difficult to play against. So the Chiefs are, you know, they're not a fun, dark horse, but they are a fun football team to watch. And then in our division, specifically the Bills, I think they've shown a lot of people over the last, you know, couple seasons that they've been building something and that they're for real. And, you know, Josh Allen's been playing well. And their defense is great. And, you know, McDermott is a really good coach. And they've done a good job building that team over the last few years. So, um, you know, it's hard not to root for the city of Buffalo just because they are their fan base is great. And, um, you know, they've been through a lot in regards to the playoffs. So it's been a long drop for them to see them come back. And then, um, you know, a little bit of a hometown thing for me. I went to UPenn, and the coach of the Browns is a Penn grad. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm secretly, you know, kind of pulling for them to make a little bit of a run. Um, but, you know, those are probably the three teams in the AFC um, that we played against that, um, you know, I'm excited about. And then, like, the Seahawks, they are just one of those teams where it seems like the game is never over. You know, they're not going to – they'll blow out some teams but a lot of times you feel like they just find a way to win it 
on the very last play and the last possession. And possessions are very precious in the postseason. So, you know, they're going to be a team that's they're perennially a powerhouse. They're perennially around. So they're, you know, they're fun to watch. Um, but I'm sure if you're a fan of the team, they might be very stressful. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, my take on those, uh, those teams we played this year. Well, certainly, uh, you know, we hope to see the Jets in the playoffs in the not too distant future, certainly. And, you know, hopefully, Greg, you know, you're a part of this team here in 2021 and beyond. But thanks again for joining us. We always appreciate the time you gave us throughout the season here and your dealings with uh, with us here. And happy new year to you and your family. Stay safe, stay healthy, have a good off season, And uh, we hope to catch up with you again next year, Greg. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, so that's Greg Van Roten. We thank him. More to come still on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. Dan Grasso alongside Bart Scott. And Inside the Jets is also supported by Selective Insurance. Be uniquely insured. So the end of the season has come for the Jets, Bart, but for 14 other teams in the NFL, the season is just getting going. And of course, that means the playoffs. It's going to be fun this year as fans because we're going to have three games on Saturday, three on Sunday with the extra playoff team. And look, I know the Kansas City and Green Bay are the two one seeds in each conference, but you know the way this year has gone, if it's taught us anything, be prepared for some surprises once the playoffs get started here. I can't wait. I know, absolutely. I think that's the beauty of the playoffs. And, you know, looking into just wild card weekend, you're looking at some potential upsets. I wouldn't be surprised if Jared Goff, if his thumb is a little better, if he's able to to beat Russell Wilson, knowing that, you know, that defense and they know each other well. They got the number one defense in the um, in the Los Angeles uh, Rams going against, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, teams that know each other very well and wouldn't be surprised one bit. Um, also, you know, What's interesting is looking at the um, Cleveland and Pittsburgh game. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes Pittsburgh had opportunity for Ben to play and for you to maybe put him out and not have to deal with worrying about what can happen in the playoffs when you have a team that can run the ball. You know, much like how the Bengals did us in 2009 when they say, oh, don't worry, we'll rest our people, we'll let them in. And then we went to their house the next week and, and beat them and put, sent them home packing uh, because of the confidence that we gathered the week before and playing with momentum. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a very dangerous game for the Steelers as well, you know, because, you know, Baker can make enough plays and that run game can run on anybody, as you saw Nick Chubb, you know, do that this following Sunday. And then, you know, sometimes when you win, you lose, right? Because if I was uh, the Titans, I'd much rather go against the Buffalo Bills than the Baltimore Ravens. But, you know, the Ravens are going to have that same energy that the Titans had last year when the Ravens had the best record and they came into their building and was able to, to run all over them. And now the Ravens are going to have that chip on their shoulders. So I think this can be a potentially a bad matchup. They also remember what happened earlier this season when mm-hmm. the Titans went in and they were talking trash and stuff after before the game and after the game, and they, they were able to get the, the late win. You know, So Baltimore, they're going to get the best of Baltimore. And Baltimore is going to have a little bit more juice because they're going to be the underdogs, and they're going to be feel like they have revenge on their mind. We just saw what revenge can do. You know, when we watched Ohio State and Clemson the other week, sometimes you don't have to be the best team. But if you just pissed off, you play with so much energy, it gives you an opportunity to win. And that's going to be a great one right there. But either one of those teams, if you win, you know, you know, your reward is Kansas City. Yeah, exactly. Good luck with that. But you know what's cool about the first week here of the playoffs is that you got a lot of rematches. You hit on a few of them. Even the Bears and Saints played each other earlier this year at Soldier Field. But the thing that stands out to me, the two division matchups, like Rams and Seahawks, 
Browns and Steelers, right? Those are they've played twice already this year, and they both split the two games because they're mm -hmm. in the same division. What is that like? Because that happened to you in 08, your last year with Baltimore. You played yeah. the Steelers three times. You played them three in the times. AFC Championship game, right? So what is that like playing a team a third time during the season, like once you get to that playoff matchup? Like how much do you carry over from the regular season games or how much do you just like throw aside because this is the playoffs? It's like a whole new season. I mean, you know each other so well that you have to try and use your coaching against them, use their knowledge against you. You know, certain formations that they've been on, you give them the same, you present to them the same looks, and then you do something different. Um, you, 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 you have to self-scout and say, hey, do we have any tendencies that we're giving up what we're doing and how we're doing it? And, you know, it's, it's tough to play, to beat a team or to play a team three straight times in one year. You know, so, you know, it's one of those things where it's going to come down to who makes the most plays and who doesn't make the big mistake. And, you know, ultimately that usually comes down to execution, who's going to be poised, you know, because what happens when you get to the playoffs, things move so much faster. Like, you know, right. you, you, can, you can wear yourself out before the game even comes. And you have to make sure that you do a tremendous job in pacing yourself and pacing your team so that they're not all gassed up and hyped up on Tuesday and Wednesday. You want them hitting the weekend, you know, going right. And also, this is a Saturday game, not a Sunday game. So you got to get ready to, to be, you know, on a, on a bit of a shortened week. And, you know, a lot of these teams that, that are successful are the teams that have been in playoff mode for the last couple of weeks, whether it was a team like uh, Cleveland that had to win to get in. You know, those are the teams that are going to be coming off because like they didn't win. Like you right? Yeah, because they didn't rest players or anything like that. So it's going to be exciting, you know, um, to see what happens. And, you know, this Bucks game against mm. Washington, you, know, you got a young, talented, great player in Chase Young talking smack already, telling, telling Brady, telling the GOAT that he's coming. Now, he can be one of these guys that call their shots. But traditionally, when somebody calls out uh, Tom Brady, he usually makes them pay by attacking them. I don't know if they'll have a game plan to attack Chase Young in a run game or the pass game or cutting him, using his uh, aggressiveness against him in screen games and things like that. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens and, you know, if he can be one of these guys that come in the league, braggadocious, loquacious, and back it up. Well, don't tug on Superman's cape. We've learned that before, right, when it comes to stuff like that. You, and, and the Buccaneers, they dodged a major bullet, in my opinion. You know, you saw what happened to Mike Evans yesterday. The way his knee went, I mean, that looked like it was going to yeah. be – you know, catastrophic for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, everything is, I guess, okay. It looks like he's got a good shot of playing here this week because that's a big part of their offense here. Remember, Jets fans, you can watch Inside the Jets through the Jets app presented by BetMGM. Go to the App Store or Google Play right now and search official New York Jets. That's the interesting thing, right, about the NFC East champ. We always knew that they were going to have a losing record. And in the past, whenever those teams had losing records that won the divisions, the Seahawks in 2010, you had Carolina do that. Both of those teams won playoff games at home. This year, yeah. it's a little bit differently. You don't going to have fans there. And this matchup on paper, at least, I mean, we used to, Tom Brady, Buccaneers, on the road. By the way, this is Brady's first time on the road to start the playoffs in his entire career because every year he made the playoffs with New England, it was as a division champ. I just can't see Washington winning this game. I can't. Um, I can see this being a tough outing. I mean, this can be a long day for Brady because you think about teams that have given him problems. It's teams that get to you with four. Well, you know, the, the, the Washington football team has five, you know, because they bring old man Winter in and, and Kerrigan, and he comes off the bench fresh on third down. And he's only 
the all-time sack leader for the for the organization for the franchise. You think about pain in the inside, and you can double everybody if Mike Evans is is compromised. You know, will Brady and will this team do what they should do and run the ball and have play action off of it, or is Bruce Aaron going to try and put the ball up 50 times? Oh, he'll and out of those 50 times, does Chase Young or does Montez Sweat get to Brady once or twice and just like yesterday get a, a huge return or, or put points on the board because Brady get coughs the ball up? So you know, that's something that you have to ask. So if this if it was going to be one Achilles Hill, you know, for, for Tom Brady, it is a, a team that has a relentless pass rush. And you talk about this team is the best in the business. So is Tom going to go to uh, uh, New England time where he's going to get the ball out of his hands in less than, you know, less than two seconds? Or is he going to be the Bruce Aarons, no risky, no bisky, where he's falling back and he's sitting up here just, you know, throwing a ball up, throwing bombs and hoping that he can hit one and hoping that one doesn't get picked off or hoping that he doesn't get hit in the back of the head. And, you know, remember when we beat him, it was because our pass, our pass rush was able to get to him with four. We were able to confuse him a little bit. They don't have to do that. They can just say, hey, we're going to double everybody. And we're going to just get there with four. Tristan Wirfs had a very good year. So I'm sure he's going to see a lot of Chase Young in the trenches there on the outside of that offensive line. That'll be a fun matchup like they all were. Um, this was a fun show each and every week. And now we have reached the end of the line, you and I, here on Inside the Jets. And look, the team only won a couple of games. But I think you and I went 16-0 and in doing this show. So thank you for everything that you <laughs> did this year. This was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to do it next year. Oh, my pleasure, man. See you next year. Get some rest. Absolutely. It's going to be exciting next year. Darn right it is. Thanks, Jets fans, for being along for the ride with us. He's Bart Scott. I'm Dan Grassa. This, once again, has been Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. So long, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see you next year.